Blog Talk Radio. There's so much going on in this world nowadays, man. Sometimes you just gotta vent. I mean, Rapid Archive. I got you, Pac Q. Yeah. What do you think that your shy gon' do? You think that he coming to jump through the hoops? You think that he coming with flowers and roses and rainbows? Oh boy, you are really confused. I'm not gon' lie, I'm just gon' tell you the truth. He gave me this gift, so I'm up in his booth. And I'm venting, I'm sending the message. I pray that you hear, cause these chains are as tight as a noose. These rappers using they platform to talk nonsense to these kids. You wonder why they all in prison doing biz. You wonder why these young kids having kids. You wonder why they dealing drugs, getting killed. You perpetuate these deals You rap about money like it's a big deal You selling your soul just to get you a deal It's funny cause the money that you Worshipping and nothing gonna be long gone wow. You're dead in the grave and you're so gone Whoa. And you're waking up in fires and brimstone Whoa. And you're gasping for air but you can't breathe and you wanna dip out but you can't leave can't It's the type of heat that you ain't seen Not at Only all. one thing that you gonna need is that? Ventilation Ain't just a little bit what we gotta prove already, rich? You can ride a bench, we got spaceships, big man. Made the main more eminent. Navigating sky five for the non-conforming. Put on a performance, lights, camera, action, look at the hysteria Dress up the set, now we up in Syria Thinking we crazy, excited, delirious I'ma sit and just watch the calamity Sit and got the Satan, yeah, they gotta be, gotta be Golly, wicked, wicked world, so ungodly Waiting on apocalypse, calculating eclipse Finding the signs of the time, by the signs in the sky They skip Jeremiah, thinking you messing with a pooty cat Yeah but he alive. Talk about Cern. Uh, Gonna crank it up a little bit. Crank it up a little bit. Crank it up a little bit. Crank it up. Just crank it up a little bit. Prophets is fulfilling. Heathens revealing. What revelations been foretelling? I'm a vent just a little bit. 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 Woo! Ventilation. Vent just a little bit. 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 which means good morning in the ancient Paleo-Hebrew. I'm your host, your brother, your friend, as always, Tazapah. Welcome to the show, y'all. Welcome to uh, IFBHBK Presents Bible Talk, man, on this. What day is this? Oh, on this 22nd day of June. In the year of our Lord, 
2023, man, the year of our captivity. Ready to get the hell on, y'all. Get the hell on. So, man, uh, welcome to the show, the Thursday show, my show, uh, FYI, for your information. Um, Just started it last week, man, so this is episode two of the Thursdays, man, that I'm going to be dealing with. And I'm going to be uh, doing things a little different than I do it on Tuesdays, y'all. Anybody that's been tuning in for uh, any X amount of time, you know that on Tuesdays, I do about an hour of news followed by, uh, well, news, current events, uh, my soapbox, as I like to refer to it. And then I get into a class. On Thursdays, though, however, y'all, I will be going into a class and just um, doing the whole, using the whole two hours to go over um, a specific class of a, a specific topic, um, and it's going to be based off of questions, uh, current events, all biblical, of course, man. Like the title of our uh, program is Bible Talk, man. We let the Bible talk. Um, the water Michelle for hooking up the broadcast shouts out to you, my brother. And uh see the the new song, man, uh ventilation, man, I likes, I likes. Um also shouts out to our brothers here in San Antonio, Warden the crew, uh holding it down at the school at uh forty four forty four uh Walsham. And um out to our brothers down in H Town, Quata Zop and the crew. Uh, shout out to Kazakia up in VA holding it down. And the brothers are now out in Rochester. Also, our uh, new brothers have joined the congregation out in California, brothers in Albuquerque. And shout out to Kyle Cobb in Guatemala. So, y'all, uh, let me go ahead and get into the show. Uh, Rough night, man. Did not sleep well at all. But um, it is what it is. All right, so let's go ahead and get it to y'all. This is Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All praises to the Most High, man. I can tell you how about Shemyahashah, man. All praises for uh, seeing another day, man, for waking up this morning. And uh, praying for Yahweh Shai, who the world knows is Christ, to come and save us out of this demonic-ass place, man. Get the hell on. All right, let's get Psalms chapter uh, 118 and verse 24, y'all. So Psalms chapter 118, verse 24, and it reads, This is the day which the Lord had made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So, God, bad, happy, sad, the most I brought you to it, will bring you through it. 
and you will come out better on the other side of it because of it, man. No doubt. All right, y'all, get your notebooks ready uh, and get your put your ears on, put your listening ears on, man. I'm gonna be doing a lot of reading this segment. Um, and we're going to be going into the Bible. We're going to be jumping around quite a bit in the Bible, man. Uh, um, and when you jump around in the Bible, man, it's uh, a good uh, foundation, man, because the Scripture says precept must be upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. The Bible's a puzzle, y'all. It has to be put together. It's not a novel. It ain't some uh, damn fictional book <clears throat> that you read. It's actually a, a reliable source of information. All right, so get your new, no, like I said, notepads ready. Put your listening ears on. Uh, what's the common saying? The Most High gave us two ears and one mouth so we can do more listening and talking. All right, y'all, so this segment is entitled The Historic Relationship Between U.S. Between the U.S. and China. I don't know if y'all been hearing it or uh, run across any news publications about <clears throat> America trying to sit down with China to get China to stop manufacturing and importing <laughs> fentanyl to the U.S. I don't know if y'all heard about that, but that's what's going on, and that's what this class is going to be based off of. So let me start with this press release from uh, rubio.senate.gov. So Rubio colleagues urged Secretary Blinken to hold China accountable for fentanyl crisis. So this uh, senator, I believe he is, uh, yeah, he's a senator from Florida, Marco Rubio, wants the U.S. to hold China accountable. All right, so this article is from May 16, 2023. It reads, uh, fentanyl continues to kill countless Americans, men, women, and children. And communist China remains the largest source of precursor chemicals to create this deadly drug. Further, U.S. ambassador to China, hold on, y'all, let me regroup and pull this a little closer. Because this is not going to work on my stomach. <clears throat> Whew. Ooh, that's a lot better. All right, what was I at? It says, uh, let me just start over. Fentanyl continues to kill countless American men, women, and children. And communist China remains the largest source of precursor chemicals to create this deadly drug. Further, U.S. ambassador to China inaccurately claimed that Beijing is not contributing to the fentanyl problem. So you had a, a an ambassador from China said that, no, nah, man, we ain't contributing to y'all problem y'all got in the States with fentanyl. All right, reading on, it says, U.S. Senator Marco Rubio, Republican Florida, and colleagues sent a letter to the U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, urging him to hold China accountable for its role in the opioid epidemic. The letter urges the administration to immediately implement sanctions and bring charges against China, Chinese officials, and companies involved in the production of fentanyl precursors. Thus far, the Biden administration seems content on waiting 
for the Chinese Communist Party to agree to cooperate with the U.S. Law enforcement, law, uh, U.S. law enforcement, while American families continue to be harmed. I want us to uh, pay attention to a few things in this article. First of all, y'all can see how they villainize in China, right? And then they refer to, to China as the Chinese Communist Party. So this is propaganda because if you're unfamiliar with communism, communism was like the main enemy of the United States and the uh, Western world after World War II. Uh, it it uh, was a, a precursor uh, for the Cold War. And uh, Chinese, the, the Chinese government became communist. And communism was demonized. It was evil. It was wicked. It was... Anything that was negative had to do with communism. They had a whole uh, communism uh, crusade where they were persecuting people for being communists, or uh, it was also called Maoism, uh, named after the, uh, the Chinese emperor Mao. Um, they were demonizing anybody who was communist. Y'all remember the Black Panther Party um, were communists. They had communist beliefs. Um, so they went on that crusade, man, for quite some time and just demonized uh, communism. So to be a communist has a negative, a negative stigma. But they're using it here to tell the reader what to think, right? So reading on this article, it says, as the opium epidemic continues to destroy families and kill tens of thousands of Americans, we cannot rely on a regime that multiple observers and experts believe subordinates its counter-narcotics cooperation to its, what is this, uh, geostrategist goals. The CCP, which means or stands for the Chinese Communist Party, which has openly declared its desire to transform the international system and establish itself as global he, uh, hegemon benefits from an American weakened, uh, an America weakened by fentanyl. So this is the letter. Then they they go on in the letter to show exactly what he wrote uh, to Washington Rubio. They go on and they discuss all this. Basically, it's all the stuff that I already read. Y'all I ain't gonna read all of this because I got other stuff I want to get to. So the next article I want to jump to is, uh, where is it, from News House. Give me a second. No, that's Britannica. I think this, yeah, this is the one right here. All right, this is from News House. Uh, Newshouse.house.gov. And it reads, America must stop China's lethal fentanyl engine. And this is from February, uh, February 28, 2023, weekly uh, columns and op-eds. Some people might be surprised to find the leading cause of death among Americans, ages 18 to 45, is not heart disease, cancer, motor vehicle accidents, or COVID-19. It is fentanyl. 
According to the Centers for Disease Control, fentanyl is now the leading cause of death for Americans in this age bracket, and it's only getting worse. Fentanyl is highly addictive and creates large profit margins for those involved in the manufacturing and dealing of the of the synthetic opioid. The world's largest source of illicit fentanyl and fentanyl and Angolese, China. So they're saying that China is the uh, world's largest source of this drug. And y'all probably been hearing this on local news or ghetto news. You got your ears to the ground that a lot of uh, our people especially are dying from fentanyl overdoses and uh, fentanyl-related drugs. So we're caught in the middle of this uh, bickering back and forth with America and China, as always, man. We're always the center of whatever current event that's going on throughout the world, man. And this is all throughout history, y'all. And I've brought this out several times, man. Anyway, uh, reading on, a mere two milligrams of fentanyl make up a lethal dose for most people, the equivalent, equivalent to a few grains of salt. Fentanyl is cheaper to make than other opioids, easier to smuggle over borders because of its power in small quantities and highly addictive. So it's highly addictive. This creates a sizable business model for the drug, drug ring and a, a perfect storm for users who can easily get addicted to this lethal drug. Now, remember, y'all, uh, the opioid crisis. And during that time, you had doctors writing scripts to get people hooked on these medications, and they were getting kickbacks and uh, incentives by these pharmaceutical companies. Where do you think they were getting their ingredients from? Because we already read how China is the main import. So they're mad at China, but they should hold themselves accountable because they were the ones that wrote the scripts and put these drugs into their so-called American citizens' hands. But this just goes to show you that they're more concerned about profit, man. This is a moralist society in a moralist country. You can't tell me or prove me anything different. Reading on this article, it says, while we continue to work to address the crisis at our southern border and the drug addiction that is sweeping through our communities, it's important we cut the lethal fentanyl engine off at its source, China. So this is a whole other article in China being blamed once again. I hope you all see this. The precursor chemicals making up the essential ingredients of fentanyl and fentanyl-related substances is from China. After being shipped to Mexico, the chemicals are produced into fentanyl-containing tablets and enters the United States via our southern border. See, like I said, man, we're always in the middle of something. So now they're demonizing uh, Isacar for processing these chemicals and shipping them through into the U.S. through the southern border, man. But y'all control all of that down there. Y'all destabilized Mexico in the first place to where uh, the only uh, viable source or uh, reliable source of uh, livelihood would be to smuggle drugs or to sell drugs and just be uh, anti the law and killing your own people off. And I'm not making an excuse for Isacar down there doing this, 
But I'm just trying to show that they're not they're not solely responsible for this, you know. Because when we look at uh, the news and we see people getting locked up for drugs and uh, selling drugs, it's always us. It's always us, and it's not the real people that's behind it, which we're gonna get into and find out. Man, it's the corporation. Anyway, we know it's estimated China is responsible for over ninety percent illicit. Fentanyl found in the United States. We simply cannot allow the lethal fentanyl engine in China to run while communities across America's heartland are being torn apart. Even as the Chinese Communist Party, here it is again, continues to threaten American uh, democracy and the frontier of the free world, they refuse to play by their own rules. In 2018, after Washington urged Beijing to stop fueling the opioid epidemic in the United States, China announced all variants of fentanyl would be treated as controlled substances. However, they failed to enforce this and have subsequently continued to deny illicit fentanyl producers are a major source of illicit opioids in the United States, despite data pointing to the contrary. We simply cannot trust them to be responsible stakeholders, and address this crisis in good faith. As a member of the white, I'm sorry, as a member of the House Select Committee on the CCP, Chinese Communist Party, it is our goal to expose the pattern of aggression from the CCP and identify the essential threats they hold against the United States. This is one of those threats. So they're saying that essentially, they're saying that China is using, um, what do they call it? It's uh, bio-warfare or chemical warfare. It's funny, man. It's funny because when people think of wars, they automatically think of uh, fighting, tanks, guns, etc. But you can raise, there's different types of warfare you can raise against a nation. And I believe somebody quoted this too from uh, the Art of War. I never read the damn book, but they they said that uh, Sun Tzu is quoted in this book saying that the smartest way to defeat an enemy is without firing a bullet, without going to going to physical war. So, and like I said, there's many forms of war. There's psychological warfare. There's germ warfare. There's biological warfare. Um, there's chemical warfare, uh, which essentially that's what they're accusing China of doing. Now, I'm saying accusing, y'all, because I want everybody to hang on to, to, to the point I'm trying to get to. Keep this in mind. The select committee on the CCP will tackle important issues such as the CCP buying up agricultural land in the United States. So, they're pointing out how China is buying up the United States, but who sold it to them? And I don't know if y'all knew this, man, but China basically owns Times Square in New York and countless other properties all across the U.S. in the name of making money, big money. They don't care, man. You know, I guess I got to get this. I ain't even plan on doing this, man. But uh, it's hitting me right now. 
So I guess I got to get it. So let's go to Obadiah real quick, y'all. So we go to Obadiah chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, well, it's only one chapter anyway. It says, the vision of Obadiah, thus said the Lord God concerning Edom. So who is it talking about? It's talking about Edom, who the world loosely refers to as the so-called white man. But the point I want to get to is this. Uh, I'm going to jump down to verse 7. Uh, yep, that's the one. All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. So what America did, and this is what it's talking about, no, but now this is prophesied. America brought all its enemies into its country, to its borders. They brought all their enemies. They brought the Arab over here. They uh, who who they stole oil and land from. They brought the Chinamen over here. We're gonna get into what they did to the Chinese. I don't want to ruin it. Um, they brought uh, the East Indian over here, whose land they took, colonized them, split their damn country up to where you got India and then you got damn Pakistan, which used to be a part of. It. And this is all the stuff they did. But they bring all the people they made enemy with enemies with over to their country thinking that these people are just like, oh, let bygones be bygones and they forgot about all the atrocities they've done to them, including the Japanese, man, who they dropped those two bombs on uh, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, They say in retaliation for Pearl Harbor, but they knew Pearl Harbor was going to happen anyway. But anyway, they got the Japanese over here thinking that he's just going to forget the toxic pollution that has affected their environment environment for hundreds of years. But reading on, and this, I'm going to read it again, Obadiah 1 and 7, all the men of thy confederacy, and the confederacy is a bunch of people that, that uh, have the same ideology, same ideas that, that are with you. It's like having a crew. So all the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee. And prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. To eat means to partake. And that's what these other nations come over here and do. They partake in what? An American education, right? Because that's all you see in these damn colleges, man. You see a lot of Elamites, a lot of East Indian people, a lot of Chinese, a lot of Japanese, a lot of Arabs. They're in these colleges getting an education, an American education. This is what it's talking about. Let me read this again. It says, uh, the men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee. It's all deception because, and y'all hearing about it now through the media, how these foreign nationalists, especially China, is getting U.S. secrets and going back to China and discussing it with their government and making plans to come over here and, and, and destroy and take over America. Remember the damn drone that the Chinese was, flew over here? And they lied and said that it wasn't really uh, uncovering any military secrets and it was a peaceful brawl or whatever they lie they told. This is what the scripture is talking about, man. The Bible, man, I'll tell you, is a bad book. It says, uh, the men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. Now, this is the part I want to get to. There is none understanding in him. So the Most High says that Esau has no understanding. 
He has no wisdom. What did you think these people were going to do to you? You invite them over to their to your country after you colonized them, destroyed their people, did the, all these atrocities to the nations. Do you think they're going to just forget about that? They ain't forgetting about that. All right, let me get back to this article. All right, it says, uh, where was I at? All right, it talks about them taking land. Let me get to the last paragraph of this article because I got a lot more stuff to read. It says, I have been a strong leader in fighting the fentanyl epidemic that is plaguing our communities and recognize more must be done to safeguard our communities. We will work to secure our border from the flow of illicit fentanyl and other deadly drugs. Support law enforcement so they have the resources they need and hold the deliverers on the streets accountable. At the very top of this lethal food chain are bad actors in China manufacturing fentanyl and the CCP who is allowing their their lethal fentanyl engine to run while it, it kills off thousands of Americans we must put a stop to the crisis, and knowing our enemy is the first step. <laughs> so this is what he wrote. All right, y'all, now let's move to this article right here. All right, now I said I wasn't going to blow it, y'all. I wasn't going to give it away just yet about what they did to China, but now we're going to get into it. All right, so this is from afe.eastasiacolumbia.edu. And I'm going to jump down to the section where it says, reading for students, the opium war and foreign encroachment. The opium war and foreign encroachment. All right, it says, two things happened in the 18th century that made it difficult for England to balance its trade with the East. First, the British became a nation of tea drinkers and the demand for Chinese tea rose astronomically. It is estimated that the average London worker spent 5% of his or or her total household budget on tea. So we're going back in history, y'all. It says northern Chinese merchants began to ship Chinese cotton from the interior of the south to compete with the Indian cotton that Britain had used to help pay for its tea consumption habits. Now, what the hell is damn, uh, it mentions Indian cotton. It says that Britain had used to pay for its tea consumption because the British colonialized India, y'all. They colonialized India. I remember they had, uh, I forgot the name of this damn movie that we watched on Netflix. It, it turned out to be a, a musical, man. I hate musicals. Uh, but at the beginning of the movie, that's what drew me in. The beginning of the movie, they're in this Indian village, and you got this uh, British dude with his wife, and they're traveling to this little poor village, and uh, his wife sees this little Indian girl singing this song. And she she's in awe with this little girl singing this song and she uh she takes the little girl with her gets her by the hand puts her in her car and then she comes somebody comes to the mother and gives the mother some money 
<laughs> and then they drive off <laughs> with the girl in their car. Now, the mom is thinking when it, while this is happening that, okay, they love the way my daughter is singing, so they're paying me for my daughter singing. But she don't understand that, no, they ain't paying you for your daughter singing. They paying you for your daughter. That's why they took her and they drove off, man, with, with the daughter. And then when the dad and the mom try to hop in, you know how they do, man. They struck them down. They shot them down, man. But I'm saying all this, y'all, so y'all can understand history that how Britain colonialized Asia, basically, because India is part of Asia. They did the same thing with China. We're going to find out how. Now, watch this. It says, to prevent a trade imbalance, the British tried to sell more of their own products to China but there was not much demand for heavy wool, fa- wool fabrics in a country accustomed to either cotton, paddle, or silk. So this is what China was known for. You ever heard of the uh, term the Silk Road? This is the uh, trading route that led through China. China was famous for its silks and its teas. And then we're going to find out it was also famous for what America or Europe calls China, which is actually porcelain, y'all. This is where, you know, rich people have what? And they, they, they cover. They have what's known as China, which is porcelain. They call it China because it came from China, y'all. This is the, the porcelain. All right, so that was a major uh, export uh, from China. So reading on, it says, the only solution was to increase the amount of Indian goods to pay for these Chinese luxuries. And increasingly, in the 17th and 18th century, the item provided to China was Bengal opium. I hope y'all hearing this. So what did the British export to the Chinese? Opium, man. They got them, they got them strung out on opium. I'm going to read on. Greater opium supplies had naturally come and increased in demand and usage throughout the country. In spite of repeated prohibition by the Chinese government and officials. So the Chinese didn't want opium in their damn country. They prohibited it. But the British kept shipping it over there. Now watch this. The British did all they could to increase the trade. <laughs> so Chinese make they outlaw an opium but the British is doubling down and sending more. It says they bribed officials, helped the Chinese, the Chinese work out uh, exuberant smuggling schemes to get the opium into China's interior and disturbed free sample of the drug, I'm sorry, and distributed free samples of the drug to innocent victims. I hope everybody is hearing this. Everybody's understanding this. It says, uh, let me see, how far do I want to read in this? That was two. Okay. All right, now let's go here. We're going to come back to this article. So I want to make two points real quick. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, y'all. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And we're going to start with 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9, it says, The thing that had been 
is it that which shall be. So the thing that has been, it's talking about history. The stuff that has already happened, it says, is that which shall be. Meaning it's going to happen again. And the reason I'm pulling this is because what America is going through right now is no different than what the West did to China, like this article says, back in the uh, the, sixth, the 17th and the 18th century. This ain't nothing new. So I'm going to read it again. It says, uh, the thing which has been, the thing that has been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. So history repeats itself. So you had United, you got the United States now mad at China for them shipping opioids over here, but they did the same thing along with ink with the Brit with the Brits. They did the same thing in China. They did the exact same thing, man. Ain't that something, man? It's, how ironic is that? It's the same, the exact same drug, man, which shows you that the Most High has a great sense of humor. I'm telling you, which brings me to my second point. Let's get Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, and it reads, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, to sow means to plant, that shall he also reap. Reap is after the growing of the product, then you go gather it, you reap it, you get it out. So whatever you plant, that's what you're going to get back. That's what the scripture is saying. So if I plant drugs in somebody's community and destroy their community and their economy, then I'm going to get that back. It's coming back. Y'all ever heard the sound, the uh, the saying, the, the the proverb, what uh, comes around goes around. <laughs> I mean, whatever you do, it's going to come back on you. So America is complaining, but y'all did the exact same thing to them. The exact same thing. Now watch this. Let's get Colossians chapter 3, and let's read verse 25. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 25, and it reads, But he that doeth wrong, so was America wrong for doing this? Was Britain wrong for doing this? Yes, they were. It says, But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he had done, and there is no respect of person. Meaning you, the most, I don't care who you are, man. If you did something wrong, you're going to get it back. You're definitely going to get it back. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's coming back on you. Now, I know a lot of y'all probably listening. I'll say, well, the part, I doesn't mention the U.S. is talking about Britain. But remember, where did the U.S. spawn from? It spawned from the Brits. The Brits were drinking tea, and they were shipping tea over to the states. Remember Boston Tea Party? Because they drank a lot of tea here in America because they were the same, they're the same people, man. I hope y'all are getting this. All right, going back to this article, and it reads, it says, uh, the cost to China was enormous. So the opium epidemic, it was enormous to China. 
the drug weakened a large percentage of the population. Some estimate that 10% of the population regularly used opium by the late 19th century. Y'all hear this? That's a lot of damn people, 10%. And silver began to flow out the country to pay for opium. So China was rich in silver also. And this is how it played a detriment, or had a detrimental effect on its economy. It says many of the economy problems China faced later were either directly or indirectly traded or traced to the opium trade. The government debated about whether to legalize the drug through a government monopoly like that of salt, hoping to barter Chinese goods in return for opium. But since the Chinese were fully aware of the of the harms of addiction, in 1838, the emperor decided to send one of his most uh, able officials, Lin Tuzu, to Canton uh, to do whatever necessary to end the traffic forever. I can, so Canton is, and this is his English name. I can't even pronounce this Chinese name or this certain place in China. It says, Lin was able to put his two proposals into effect easily. Addicts were rounded up, forcibly treated, and taken off the habit, and domestic drug dealers were harshly punished. His third objective, storage and foreign foreign, uh, I'm sorry, forced foreign merchants to sign pledges of good conduct, agreeing never to trade in opium and to be punished by Chinese law if ever found in violation, eventually brought war. So once they did this, once they took their people, got their people off the drug and made it illegal, this is what sparked the war between them and, and the Brits. Opium in England was divided. I'm sorry. Let me slow down, y'all. Opinions in England was divided. Some British did indeed feel morally uneasy about the trade, but they were overruled by those who wanted to increase England's China trade and teach the arrogant Chinese a good lesson. Y'all hearing this? Western military weapons, including... Uh, percussion lock, lock muskets, heavy artillery, and paddle wheel, wheel gumbos. For a superior to China's, Britain's troops had recently been toughened in the Napoleonic Wars, and Britain could muster garrisons, warships, and provisions from its nearby colonies in Southeast Asia and India. The result was a disaster for the Chinese. By the summer of 1842, British ships were victorious and were even prepared to shell the old capital, Nanking, in central China. The emperor, therefore, had no choice but to accept the British demands and sign a peace agreement. So the Chinese gave in because they were outgunned. It says, this agreement, the first of the unequal treaties, opened China to the West and marked the beginning of Western exploitation of the nation. Y'all hear this. When you hear the term the West, you automatically think of who? You think of Europe and you think of the United States. 
that's the West. America was involved. And I'm going to go on and prove it, y'all. It says, other humiliating defeats follow in what one historian has called China's treaty century. Major aspects of the so-called unequal treaties were not formally voided until 1943. So look at how they basically took control of China all the way up to 1943. Read it on. In 1843, France and the United States and Russia in 1858, because they're all the same people, negotiated treaties similar to England's uh, Nanking Treaty, including a provision for extraterritoriality whereby foreign nationalists in China were immune from Chinese law, meaning what? They could come there and do what the hell they wanted to do, and they couldn't be prosecuted. It's like having damn uh, diplomatic immunity. It says to compel a reluctant China to shift from its traditional uh, tribute-based foreign relations to treaty relations. Europeans fought a second war with China from 1858 to 1860. So they fought two opium wars, man. This is this is how bad the Chinese people wanted to get from up under these people. They knew they were outmanned, outgunned. They didn't have the resources, but they were fighting for their damn livelihood. You can't blame them for that. It says, and the concluding treaty of, what is this, Tistin and Con- uh, Convention of Peking, Beijing increased China's semi-colonial status. <laughs> so they lost, and it increased the status of China being colonialized. It says more ports were open to foreign residents and trade. And foreigners, especially missionaries, y'all hear this? Missionaries. What is America still famous for this day, man? They send their damn missionaries in to, to, to bring what? Christianity to the people. While all along, it ain't got nothing to do with religion. It has everything to do with monetary gain, with financial gain. Now, watch this. This is why I say this. It says missionaries were allowed free movement and businesses anywhere in the country. You see this? All about money. Conflicts for the rest of the century wrung more humiliating concessions from China with Russia over claims in China's far west and northeast in 1850 and 1860. You see how they had, they basically, these Edomites, so-called white people, because they talked about Russia. So, And what are they commonly referred to as? They used to be referred to as Caucasians, right? So you, you were, and it, it says France, so France Caucasians, United States Caucasians, Russian Caucasians, British Caucasians. All the same people. But you see how they had China boxed in, y'all, from the east, Russia from the east, and then you had Britain and the United States from the west. Had them boxed in. It says in China's uh, far west and northeast in 1850, 1860, with England over, access, over access, access to the upper reaches of the Yangtze River in 1876, with France over northern Vietnam, because y'all remember, France colonialized Vietnam, and that's, that was why the war was fought. Vietnam was trying to claim its independence from France. 
It says, and then got America to help them. It says, in 1884, with Japan over its claims to Korea, see this? And they even colonized Japan, too. We already know what they did to Japan. Uh, claims to Korea in Northeast China in 1895. And for y'all that watched uh, the series uh, It Man, they they allude to this in uh, that series, how uh, the Japanese basically came in and took control over China with help from the Brits. Read on. And with many foreign powers after 1897, which demanded spheres of influence, especially for con- constructing railroads and mines, in, 19, in 1900, an international army suppressed the anti-foreign Boxer Rebellion in northern China, destroying much of Beijing in the process. Each of these defeats brought more foreign demands, greater indemnities that China had to repay. You see this? More foreign pressure along the coast. I'm sorry, presence along the coast, and more foreign participation in China's political and economic life. Little wonder that many in China were worried by were worried by the centuries in that China was being sliced up like a million because it was. All right, y'all. So let me get this other article right. Let me see. Boom. Yeah, that's the one. All right. This is more about the opium wars. The opium wars, the widespread opium addiction in China, was causing serious social and economic disruptions there. The attempts by the Qing dynasty to enforce the opium restrictions included such measures as destroying more than 20,000 chests opium, about 1,400 tons of the drug. So we're talking about pounds. They were shipping tons into China. They had the whole country strung out. hope everybody's seeing this that British merchants had warehoused at Canton in 1839. China's enforcement efforts in the Western countries responded to those efforts, eventually resulting in two armed conflicts known as the Opium Wars, both of which China lost and which resulted in various measures that contribute to the decline of the king and ultimately, I'm sorry, of the Quinn, and ultimately saw the dynasty topple in favor of Republican China in the early 20th century. So they destabilized China's government by having them strung out on opium. The first war between Britain and China, 1839-42, did not legalize the trade, but it did halt Chinese efforts to stop it. It also expanded British trading privileges, establishing five treaty ports in which foreigners could live and work outside Chinese legal jurisdiction, trading with whomever they please. Furthermore, China was required to pay Britain a large indemnity and cede, I'm sorry, concede Hong Kong Island to the British. So did you ask why there's so many British people in Hong Kong? This is why. They basically took the Chinese island of Hong Kong. Y'all remember seeing all them damn James Bond movies? He'd be in Hong Kong. You saw them damn British people over there? They'd they be telling us, man, you just got to pay close attention when you watch these movies. Reading on. In the Second Opium War, 1856 to uh, 60, also known as the Arrow War of the 
Anglo-French War in China, which was fought between a British-French alliance and China. See, they always stick together. You have the British and the French coming together to dice China up and take it for themselves. The Chinese government was forced to legalize the trade, though it did levy a small import tax on opium. Among other concessions, China ceded to the British the southern portion of Kowloon Peninsula adjacent to Hong Kong. By the end of the war, opium imports to China had reached, listen to this, 50,000 to 60,000 chests a year. So they doubled down after they won the war. And they continued to increase for the next three decades. I hope y'all hearing this, man. For the next three damn decades, this shows the evil in this dude's heart, man. He got China strung out for three damn decades. That's 30 years, man. That's crazy. Reading on the decline of the opium trade. By 1906, the the importance of the opium in the West trade with China had declined, and the King uh, Quinn government was able to begin to reluct. uh, I'm sorry, to regulate the importation and consumption of the drug. In 1907, China signed the Ten Years Agreement with India whereby China agreed to forbid native cultivation and consumption of opium on the understanding that the export of Indian opium would decline in proportion and cease completely in 10 years. The trade was thus almost completely stopped by 1917. Opium smoking and addiction remained a problem in China during the subsequent decades. Decades. However, since the weakened Central Republican government, which had overthrown the the Quinn dynasty in 1912, could not wipe out the native cultivation of opium, although opium trade routes extended from the southeast and southwestern regions of Asia closely temporarily, I'm sorry, closed temporarily during World War II, 1939 to 1945. Cultivation of the plant continued and even prospered in areas of China. So it still was going on. Opium smoking was finally eradicated by the Chinese communists after they came to power in 1949. So, man, roughly almost 100 years, man, they, they had them strung out on damn opium, man. That's crazy. All right, y'all, so let's go to, uh, here it is. Now let's get let's get some of the players in the opium trade, man. Here we go. All right, now this is from Wikipedia. So it says, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, y'all. That ain't the one I want. I think this is the one. Yeah, this is the one. 
So this is from the New York Times. It says, The Opium Wars Secret History. Like I said, y'all, we're going to get the players now. It says, Losers Rarely Name Wars, an exception being the conflict between Britain and China from 1839 to 1842. So it said the losers rarely name it. And we know that China, China was the losers, and they named it the Opium Wars. It says, known bluntly, even since as the Opium War, the more, I'm sorry, the most, to most Chinese, a a central, I'm sorry, to most Chinese, a century, like I said, 100 years, of humiliation began with this war in which Westerners sought to force a deadly drug on Asian people and then imposed an unequal treaty open, I'm sorry, that price opened their country and annexed the island that became Hong Kong. So y'all see this, we just read this in another article. An embarrassing truth, that is essentially what happened. As Hong Kong reversed to China at month's end, many of us for the first time may see a bit of history from a different end of the telescope. Yet a further point needs making. Even the authors of the Opium War were ashamed of it. The Western protests against it marked the beginning of a concern with international human rights that in a fresh turn embarrasses today's leaders in Beijing. So they're still embarrassed over this. They should be, man. The whole country was strung out on opium for 100 years. It says, along with the slave trade, the traffic in opium was the dirty underside of an evolving global trading economy in America, as in Europe, pretty much everything was deemed fair in the pursuit of profit. I hope y'all are listening. They said this was fair because they were pursuing profit. It was all about money. Now listen to this. Such was the outlook at Russell and Company. So remember that name, Russell and Company. Now what was Russell and Company? Now listen to this. A Boston Concern whose clipper ships made it the leader in the lucrative American trade in Chinese tea and silk. So this was a company, American-based company in Boston, right? And they were traders. Now it says that they traded tea and silk, but they traded some else too. Watch this. In 1823, a 24-year-old Yankee, Warren Delano. Remember that name, y'all. Warren Delano sailed to Canton, where he did so well that within seven years, he was a senior partner in Russell and Company. Delano's problem, as with all traders, European and American, was that the China was that China had much to sell but declined to buy. The Muchen believed that the Middle Kingdom already possessed everything worth having and hence needed no barbarian manufacturers. So what this is saying is that China didn't want for nothing, man. China had everything. They had everything, so they didn't really need to trade with other countries, other nations. And that was a problem for the West because the West wanted all of China's riches. Now watch this. The British struck upon an ingenious way to reduce a huge trade deficit. Their merchants bribed Chinese officials to allow entry of chests of opium from British-ruled India. 
through its import through its importation had long been banned by imperial decree. Imports soared, and nearly every American company, listen to this, and nearly every American company followed suit, acquiring black dirt, turkey, or as agents for Indian India producers. You hear this? Now, this is the point I want to get to. Writing home, Delano said he could not pretend to justify the opium trade on moral grounds. He knew this was immoral. But, this is his quote, as a merchant, I insist it has been fair, honorable, and legitimate. How could it be fair and honorable and legitimate if it was moralist? You see the way Esau thinks? He says, and no more objectionable than the importation of wines and spirits to the U.S. You see, they compare these drugs with liquor. Yet, as addiction become, became epidemic, and as the Chinese began paying with precious silver for the drug, their emperor finally, in, 19, sorry, in 1839, named an imperial commission to end the trade. Commissioner Lee Tin Su. All right, I ain't going to read all of that. Let me jump down. Now, we still, we're talking about this dude, Warren Delano. Remember that name? Warren Delano returned to America rich. And in 1851, settled in Newburgh, New York. There, he eventually gave his daughter. Sarah, in marriage to a well-born neighbor, James Roosevelt. I hope y'all hearing this. So this dude, Delano, gave his daughter to this cat named James Roosevelt. Name sound familiar? Now watch this. The father of Franklin Roosevelt. The old China trader was closed-mouthed about opium as were his parents in Russell and Company. It is not clear how much FDR knew about this source of his grandfather's wealth, but the president's recent biography, drug biographer Gregory Ward, rejects efforts by the Delano family to minimize Warren's involvement. So Warren Delano was the grandfather of Franklin D. Roosevelt, the United States president. And this is why he's named Franklin D. The D is for Delano. So his full name is Franklin Delano Roosevelt, y'all. So the Roosevelts took part in the opium trade. I hope y'all are understanding this. All right, now let's go to this other one. We're still dealing with Delano, Warren Delano, and this is from Wikipedia. Let's go down to his descendants. All right, Warren Delano's descendants. It says, through his daughter Sarah, he was a great, I'm sorry, he was a grandfather of the 32nd president of the United States, Franklin Delano Roosevelt 
who married his fifth cousin. He married his fifth cousin, Eleanor Roosevelt, and was the father of six children, Anna Eleanor Roosevelt, James Roosevelt II, Franklin Roosevelt, who died in infancy, Elliot Roosevelt, Franklin D. Roosevelt Jr., and John uh, Aswall Roosevelt. So the Delanos or the Roosevelt, they're basically the same people. I hope you all are seeing this. And if the name Roosevelt sounds familiar, we already know he's the 32nd president, but remember his his father, who they ain't got listed, is Teddy Roosevelt. I believe he was the grandfather of uh, – of uh, what you call him, Franklin Roosevelt, on on the uh, on the daddy side, the daddy side, the mom side, one of them. But these are the people that made money. Because remember, the article talking about all American companies basically got in on the opium trade. So we're reading um, the lineage. Now let me jump down. Family members of Delano. Wait a minute, I skip it. Legacy descendants, personal lives. Hold on, y'all. Oh, this is this one. Let me go here. All right, this is from this is from Wikipedia also. So the Delanos were not the only family to um, participate in the opium trade. These people also. So Wikipedia, Forbes family. Yes, the Forbes. This this article is about the Forbes family uh, Forbes family related to U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry for the family associated with Forbes magazine. See Forbes family publisher. So these Forbes people are the same people <laughs> that make the magazine Forbes magazine. But we find out that these people were related to John Kerry, the former U.S. president. Now, read it on. It says the Forbes family. Hold on, it's the part I want to get. Yeah. The Forbes family is one of the components of the Boston Bohemians. They are a wealthy, extended American family, long prominent in Boston, Massachusetts. The family's fortune originates from trading opium and tea between North America and China in the 19th century plus other investments in the same period. Y'all see how they made their wealth from death, from drugs. Like I say, man, we we see people going to the jail on TV and the media, it's always us. It's never them. It's never the corporations and the the, uh, the politicians. We find out that's who started it. That's who capitalized and made all the damn money off of it. All right, we know. The name descends from Scottish immigrants and can be traced back 
to seek to Sir John de Forbes in Scotland in the 12th century. Family members include businessman John Mary Forbes, 1813-1898, part of the first generation who accumulated wealth, and politician John Forbes Curry, born 1943. Now let me jump down to uh, family members. So it wasn't just uh, the Roosevelts that participated in the opium trade. It was also the Forbes that made their fortune over there trading opium. Gangsters, man, straight damn gangsters. Family members. All right, let me see. Uh, James Grant Forbes II, 1879 to 1955, American lawyer, banker, and businessman, son of Francis Blackwell Forbes, and wife Isabel Clark was born in Shanghai, China, where the Forbes amassed a fortune from the opium trade and merchant banking after the opium wars. Y'all see this? The grandfather of Bryce uh, Langdon and John Forbes Curry. Mm -hmm. And remember, he went by John F. Curry. Remember, the F is for Forbes. See how they try to hide stuff, man, and change their name? They try to hide stuff and change their name. And and the Forbes were in business with who who else? The Russell and Company. They were business partners, man. I hope everybody's seeing this. Let's go to St. John chapter 10 and verse 10. St. John chapter 10, verse 10, and it reads, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. This is Yahweh Shah telling us this, man. It's Christ telling us what a thief comes to do. This is the this is the MO of a thief. And what are these people done, man? You come to what? Steal, kill, and destroy, man. So what they can't steal, just all right steal, they kill people for it and take it if they can't just all right steal it. And then once they get control of something, they destroy it, man. Y'all control the control destroy. Y'all controlled and destroyed a whole damn country, man, for 100 years, man. The Bible tells us this, though. Let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, man. I told y'all we was going to be doing a lot of reading. Now get your, uh, get your note, your note pads out, your pen and your paper, man, ready, because we're going to be jumping quite a bit. All right, so let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. I'm doing great on time. Uh, all right, and it reads, And I saw when the Lamb opened, the, opened one of the seals. All right, so let's deal with who is talking about issues of the Bible to break down the Bible. It says the Lamb. Let's deal with who the Lamb is. Get St. John chapter 1, verse 29. Hold this, we're coming right back to it. St. John chapter 1, verse 29. We're getting, remember, getting who the Lamb is in Revelation chapter 6. 
verse 29 and reads, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So who's the Lamb of God? It's talking about Yahweh Shai, man. It's talking about Christ. Uh, let's go stay in St. John, St. John, same chapter. Uh, jump down to verse 36. It says, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. All right, so this is who the Lamb of God is. It's Yahweh Shai, Jesus Christ. Let's get one more. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 19. First Peter chapter 1, verse 19, and it reads, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. So once again, proving who the lamb is in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Let's read this again. And I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals, so the lamb being Yahweh who the world knows Jesus Christ. Now let's get what the seal is. We go to Revelation chapter 22 and verse 10. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 10, and it reads, And he said unto me, Seal not the saints of the prophecies of this book, for the time is at hand. So what's a seal? A seal is a prophecy, y'all. A seal is a prophecy. Prophecy are things that are going to happen, things that are written in the Bible that come to fruition. All right? So a seal is a prophecy. So going back to Revelation chapter 6, what do I do with my bookmark? Oh, there it is. Revelation chapter 6, I'm read verse 1 again. It's gonna read what, we're going to read with understanding now. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. So the Lamb's talking about Yahweh Shai, Jesus Christ. And he opened one of the prophecies. That's what a seal is. And I heard, as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. All right, y'all. Uh, I ain't, ain't going to break down this whole chapter, but I got to do all of this to get to the point. So it's talking about four beasts. So now we got to uncover who these beasts are. So let's go to Revelation. I'm going to stay in the book of Revelation, chapter uh, 6. No, I'm sorry, y'all. Revelation chapter 5, actually. Revelation chapter 5. And verse 5, and one of the elders said unto me, weep not. Now, remember, it says one of the elders said, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, so Christ is also known as the lion as well as the lamb, so it's talking about Yahweh Shai. The root of David had prevailed to open the book and to loose the, the seven seals and seals of prophecy thereof. Verse 6. Is it raining again? Hmm. Okay. Verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders. So remember, these same elders in verse 5. So it's referring to these four beasts, it says, as elders. We're going to find out who they are. It says, stood stood, stood a lamb, Stood a lamb as it had been slain. So Yahushua, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the the seven spirits of God sent forth unto all the earth. 
All right. Now, these four beasts, we got to get to it. And it says that these uh, four beasts are referred to as elders, and then it calls them spirits too, all right? So spirits, elders, still talking about the same people. Now I got to get this right here. Uh, Hold on for a second, y'all. Boom. Hebrews, I believe. Boom. Yep, Hebrews 1 and 7. It says, And of the angels, he said, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? So angels are also known as spirits. So in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6, it says, and I'm at the bottom, the, the last end of the precept, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So these seven spirits are talking about the angels, man. So it's talking about seven angels, uh, which are also known as beasts, which are also known as elders. Now these four beasts or four angels, these are also known as the archangels or the four archangels. All right? These are powerful angels. So the first archangel, we got to get them. Let's go to James chapter 10 now. Old Revelation, we're coming right back to it. Let's get Daniel chapter 10. And verse 13. Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, and it reads, But the prince... Of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, listen to this, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. So this is Yahweh Christ speaking, saying that Michael, he calls him a chief prince, but this chief prince, Michael, is also known as one of the archangels. I'm going to continue to prove this. Jump over and get Daniel chapter 10 and, yes, then 10 and read verse 21. But I will shew thee that which is noted in the scriptures of truth, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael, your prince. So once again, this is talking about Michael, the archangel, which is known as the, also known as the angel of war. So let's get Jude chapter 1 and verse 9. Still dealing with who these four beasts uh, in Revelations are. So Jude 1 and 9, and it reads, Yet Michael, now watch this, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. So what I want to get from this is how Michael who uh, Daniel refers to as a prince, or uh, Christ refers to as a prince in the book of Daniel, is also known as Michael the Archangel. I hope everybody's seeing this, man. Now let's get Revelation 12 and 7. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, and it reads, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. So 
is letting you know that Michael is an archangel and he has commission over other angels. That's why he's an archangel, like a high level of angel that the Most High uses, man. Once again, going back to these four beasts as talked about in Revelation chapter 6. Now let's get one of the other archangels. Let's go to Daniel chapter 8 and verse 16. Daniel chapter 8 and verse 16, and it reads, And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Eula, uh, uh, which, which uh, whew, let me read it again, verse 16, And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Eula, which called and said, Gabriel, this man to understand the vision. So this is the archangel Gabriel here, y'all. Let's get Daniel 9 and verse 21 now. And it reads, Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. Now, here he's being referred to as a man, but remember, angels can take on the form of a man. He's still talking about an angel, y'all. And what's his name? Gabriel. Let's continue to prove this. Go to Luke chapter 1, verse 19. Luke chapter 1, verse 19, and it reads, And the angel answered, answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. So y'all see this, right? This is the archangel Gabriel. Jumping down to verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, so remember, he was referred to as a man in Daniel, right? But remembering, angels can take on human form, but he's an angel. Read it again, verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth. All right. So let's get the third archangel. We're going to go to the book of Tobit to get this one, y'all. So uh, Tobit chapter 12. Tobit chapter 12 and verse 11. And it reads, Surely, I will keep close nothing from you. For I said it was good to keep close the secret of a king, but that it was honorable to reveal the works of God. Now, therefore, when thou didst pray, and Sarah thy daughter-in-law, I did bring the remembrance of your prayers before the Holy One. So whoever this is speaking right now said he brought the prayers of Tobit to the Most High. It says, And when thou didst bury the dead, I was with thee likewise. And when thou didst not delay to rise up and leave thy dinner to go and cover the dead, thy good deed was not hid from me, but I was with thee. And now God has sent me to heal thee 
and Sarah, thy daughter-in-law. So this dude that's speaking to Tobit said that he had came to heal Tobias because Tobias had uh, got this dung in his eye. He was blind. He couldn't see. Oh, sorry, Tobit. And uh, Tobit's daughter-in-law, she couldn't have, uh, she had never bared children because this angel kept killing her husbands. Now, verse 15, he's going to tell you who he is. I am Raphael, one of the seven holy angels. I hope y'all seeing this. I hope y'all listening. He's letting you know who he is. He says he's one of the seven holy angels. So he said he calls himself Raphael. The Hebrew pronunciation for this would be Rapah. This is the angel of healing. So Michael, or Michael Allah, that's his Hebrew name, he's the angel of war. Then we got uh, Gabriel, or Gabriella. He would be the, uh, the angel of message. And Raphael is the angel of healing. Let me read this again. I am Raphael, one of the seven holy angels, which present the prayers of the saints. And which go in and out before the glory of the Holy One. So this was an angel manifesting himself as a man, and then he finally revealed, "Hey, I'm not a man. I'm, I'm, I'm an angel." Hope everybody's seeing this. This is going back to who these four beasts were in Revelation chapter six. So let's get uh, the last one. Uh, let's go to Second Ezra chapter four. Second Ezra chapter four. And where I want to go. Oh, verse 1. Take it chapter 4, verse 1. And the angel that was sent unto me, whose name was Uriel, gave me an answer. So this is the angel, Uriel, which is the angel of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And this is Ezra saying that he was sent to him. So I hope everybody see this, man. I know there's a lot of precepts being pulled, but we got to uh, pull these things to break it down so that you understand, man. So going back to uh, Revelation chapter 6 and let me see. Oh, you got another one out? Hold on. Yeah. Second uh, Ezra chapter 4 verse 36. And unto these and unto these things, Uriel, the archangel, the water eye. That's bad. So Second Ezra chapter 4, verse 36. And unto these things, Uriel, the archangel, gave them answer and said, y'all see this, right? He's an archangel, the water eye. That's even even better scripture. Let me put this in my notes. That's why I mess with you. That's why I mess with you. All right, going back to Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2. Oh, we're still in verse 1. Yeah, let's read verse 1 again. And I and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, uh, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. So once again, this Lamb being Christ, uh, the seal being the prophecies of the of the Bible, the prophecies of history. It's in the uh, the four beasts or the four archangels of the Most High, that being uh, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, and Uriel. 
All right, verse 2. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. So let's deal with the white horse, man. What What is white? What does white represent? Let's get Revelation 19 and 8. Revelation chapter 19, verse 8, and it reads, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And what color is the linen? It's white. So white represents purity. It represents righteousness. All right, I hope everybody sees this. All right, so let's go back to Revelation, chapter 6, verse 2. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, so a righteous horse. It says, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So the horse that is talking about, to be on a horse is in, to be in a position of authority, y'all. It's the seat of authority. Let's prove this. Let's go to Ecclesiastes in the Bible, chapter 10. Whole Revelations, coming right back to it. Ecclesiastes, chapter 10. And let's go to verse 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 5, and it reads, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun. So he says the evil he's seen under the sun as an error. He said that this is an error. And watch what he said the error, error is. Uh, man, come on. I lost my place, man. I'm sorry, y'all. Uh, verse 5. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun as an error which proceeded from the ruler. So is this error is from the ruler. It says, Folly is set in great dignity, and the rich sit in low place, in a low place. I have seen, and listen to this, servants upon horses. So what was the error? You got a servant on a horse, uh, sitting on top on a horse is a position of power. But when you see a servant sitting on a, on a horse in a position of power, that that's, that's contradictory. That's abnormal. It shouldn't be. Y'all remember uh, watching the movie The Django, Django, where uh, Jamie Foxx was sitting on a horse, and what that nigga Samuel, sellout nigga Samuel kept saying, what that nigga doing up there on that nag? What that nigga doing on that nag? Because he wasn't supposed to be in that position of power because he was a nigga on a horse. They, ain't nobody trying to see that. That's, that's, out, of, that's out of the ordinary. It shouldn't be like that. To sit on the horse is to be sitting in the position of power. So, let me read this again. I've seen service upon horses and princes walking as service upon the earth. So, to be on sitting on the horse is to be sitting in the position of power. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 6, and we're going to read verse 2 again. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him, had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So the him that's sitting on top of this righteous horse is none other than Shah, none other than Christ, man. And when it talks about him conquering, 
Matter of fact, let's get this, man. Let's get let's get Revelation chapter nineteen and verse thirteen to prove that this is Christ. Revelation nineteen and verse thirteen. And it reads, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, talking about Yahushua, and his name is called the Word of God. So who had this vesture on that was dipped in blood? This was talking about Yahushua because he's also referred to as the Word of God. Let's prove this. Let's go to uh, St. John chapter 1. St. John chapter 1, we're going to read verse 1 and we're going to jump, jump down. St. John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, a lot of people read this and say, see, uh, the Word uh, is is uh, the most high, is Yahweh. Is, uh, Yahweh. No, that's not so. Watch this. Jumping down to verse 14 now, watch. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. So this word that was made flesh, watch this, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Just talking about Christ, the Son of God. And remember, he's the word. Because coming from Revelation, it says that he had a vesture on that was dipped in blood, and they call him the word of God. The word of God is who? None other than who the world knows is Jesus Christ. All right? So this was him that was sitting on this white horse. We're going back to Revelation chapter 6. And it says, verse 2, And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. So it says that Christ was going to conquer. So this is a future prophecy. It has not happened yet. So let's show in the Bible how Christ is going to conquer. Let's go get uh, Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. Let me kind of speed things up from then on time. Matthew chapter 25 and verse, what I said, 31. And it reads... When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, this ain't happened yet, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him, so the throne of his glory is referred to as the the white horse in Revelation, because a a horse is a seat of authority or throne. That's his glory. Verse 32, it says, and before him shall be gathered all nations. So what's going to happen when Christ comes back? He's going to gather all nations. Now watch this. And he shall separate them one from another, as the sheep divided his sheep from the goats. So this is Christ uh, coming into his kingdom, his power. He's going to gather all the nations. He's going to separate the nations. He's going to be over all the nations. It's him being in the seat of authority, in the seat of power. Going back to Revelation chapter 6 now. Two, reasonable understanding now. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, so righteousness. And he that sat on him had a bow. This is Christ in authority and in power. And a crown was given unto him, 
and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So this crown is talking about him being king of kings, lord of, lord of lords. What do you call a king of kings? You call that an emperor. He's over everybody. There's not, nothing higher. This is Christ's kingdom. So this is a future prophecy. So reading on in verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, so the second angel, one of these angels, archangels came said, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. All right. Who's this damn red horse? So let's get Genesis chapter 25, verse 25. For us familiar with who Esau is, we should already know when we read this who he's talking about. But just to prove it, y'all. And like I said, it, a lot of these three stuff I ain't about to get to because I'm running out of time. Genesis chapter 25, verse 25. And the first, so the first of these twin babies that came out of uh, Rebecca's womb, it says, and the first came out red all over like a hairy woman, and they called his name Esau. So this is talking about that red horse, the red horse coming into power. But it was prophesied that he was going to come into power by his father, Isaac, who told him that. We're going to get to that in a second. But this is the red horse, the man, the red man, known as Esau, him coming into power around 333 under the Maccabees. I'm sorry, during the time of the Maccabees, but he came into power under the Greeks. He came into power under the Greeks, y'all, okay, under the Greeks. To uh, edify that, you can get First Maccabees chapter 1, verse 1. All right, this was Esau's rise to power under Alexander the Greek and the Grecians. All right, I want us to understand that. Now let's go to go back to Revelation chapter six. Read this again with understanding. Uh, Revelation six and four, and there went out another horse that was red. So once again, talking about the so-called white man, and once again that horse being uh, 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 the seat of authority, the seat of power. So the so-called white man comes into power around 333 under Alexander the Greek or Alexander the Great. It says, and power was given unto him that set thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So this was prophesied that Esau was going to come into power and control the known living world at that time, all the dark nations. You can refer to Job chapter 9, verse 24, and Proverbs chapter 29 and 2. And you can also refer to when it talks about them killing one another, it's talking about Esau and them going to war with each other, fighting Alexander's four generals after his death. You can refer to the book of Maccabees, chapter 1, verse 9, and couple that with Josephus, page 308. Now, I want to get to where it says, uh, and there was given unto him a great sword. Because what was Esau's blessing? Let's get Genesis chapter 27 now. Ah, damn. Genesis chapter 27. And what verse I want to start? Verse 38. And it reads, And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me, also my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept, 
and Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth. So this is Esau getting his blessing. He's going to have the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. I mean, he's going to have all the blessings of heaven, and there's three heavens according to the Bible, all the blessings, all the goodness of the world that the world had to offer. Verse 40, and by the sword shall thou live and shall serve thy brother. So once again, this goes back to what we read in Revelations about this dude having a sword. This was his blessing. The sword is his weaponry. This is why every everywhere he went, he conquered nations with what? His weapons, his weaponry. Man, this is a bad place for me to stop, but I had to take a pause for the cause real quick. Y'all be right back. All right, y'all, I'm back. Um, so we were talking about Esau's blessing being the sword, all right? And we were in verse what, 39? Mm, no, verse 40. It says, And by the sword shalt thou live, and shall serve thy brother, and it shall come to pass, when thou shalt have dominion, that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. So Esau came into power, like I said, Around 333 under the Greeks, when it's talking about him breaking uh, the yoke off the neck, remember, go back to the time of uh, King David and King Solomon. David had garrisons set up in the land of Edom and controlled them, and Solomon did the same thing. He had controlled Esau. Esau had no power until he came into power as the Greeks out under Alexander. Do your research, y'all. All right? That was them coming into power. That's why when we talk to Esau about his history, you always want to start with Alexander the Greek. All right, going back to Revelations uh, chapter 6 now. And got like 15 minutes, y'all. Revelation 6 and one verse is on in. Verse 4. And there went out another horse that was red. So Esau coming to power uh, under the, the Greeks, and power was given to him. 
that set there on to take teach from the earth. Now remember, this is this is his blessing. Because his daddy told him he was going to do this once he had took the yoke of his brother Jacob off his neck, and that yoke being the yoke that uh, King David put on them, King Solomon put on them. And remember, David, uh, Solomon, all descendants of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, we know he had 12 sons that make up the nation of Israel. So this is what we're talking about, and this is what this prophecy is talking prophecy and revelation is talking about also. It says, and that they should kill one another. So once again, Alexander uh, and his uh, four generals going going toe-to-toe, going to war. Also, it's talking about how the Romans and the Greeks went to war with each other for uh, power, man. And there was given unto him a sword. And we just got that in Genesis chapter uh, 27, verses 39 through 40. And when he had opened the third seal, I'm sorry, I didn't want verse 5. I want to jump. Let's jump down to verse 7. This is the part I want to get to, y'all. And when he had opened the fourth seal, so the fourth prophecy, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, come and see. So all these seals are prophecies. These prophecies are different times in history. So the Bible is a history book. I hope you understand this. Verse 8. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. All right? A pale horse. When you see somebody pale, that's pale, it means what? That they're sick. They're not well. Uh, pale is uh, a lack of pigmentation, a lack of color due to illness or to due to stress. So this particular uh, horse or this particular power, because remember, uh, uh, to sit on the on the horse is to sit in the position or the seat of power. This horse person was going to be sick. I'm reading in verse eight. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse or a sick horse, and his name that sat on him was death. Yeah, I hope y'all seeing this. Now, what this is alluding to is talking about the time of the Renaissance, which happened around 1453. The word Renaissance mean, re, means rebirth, okay? This was the so-called white man being reborn, reborn into power under the Ottoman Turks, like I said, around 1453, him coming back into power. All right, y'all don't believe me? Let me prove this here. Boom. Where we at? Where are we at? Bam, right there. All right, so this is from Wikipedia, Rise of the Ottoman Empire. And it reads, the, I'm, I'm jumping down to like the second paragraph. The conquest of Constantinople in 1453 is seen as the symbolic moment when the emerging Ottoman state shifted from a mere principality into an empire, therefore marking a major turning point in its history. See how the Bible is a history book and it lines right up with history. So the Ottoman Turks, man, these were white boys, basically, who uh, subscribed to the Muslim faith. They were Muslims. But remember, they were, they, they were called Turks because they originated from Turkey. These were white boys, man. All right? And they were in what's known as Euro-Asia, 
but they subscribed to the Muslim faith. But this was them coming back into power. But this is who it's talking about in Revelation chapter 6, verse 8. I'm going to read this again. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, a sick horse, or a sick nation. And his name that set on him was death, and hell followed his him. So this is all. And what when when the so-called white man came back into power, man, he came in back into power with aggression, authority, and he brought a lot of death around the world. It says, uh, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword. Y'all see this? And what was his blessing? We already got that in Genesis. And with hunger, and with death, and with the beast of the earth. So all the instruments he was going to use to kill people, his weaponry, he was going to starve people out. Uh, he was going to kill people by any means, including what? We just read how they had the opium trade going in China for 100 years. For a century And it says with the beast of the earth Now this is talking about how Matter of fact let's get this first It says with the beast of the earth Let's get Daniel chapter 7 <clears throat> And it says we'll kill with the beast of the earth Daniel chapter 7 And we're going to start at verse 17 Or it's the only verse we need It says these great, these great beasts Which are four Are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. So in Revelation where it says he's going to kill with the beast of the earth, meaning he was going to use other nations to do his king also. You see this? He was confederate with other nations, and they helped him kill the earth. They helped him kill other people. They helped him conquer other people. It's, just, it's no different than uh, when they came into power uh, um, as the Romans. He said all roads led to Rome. So once Esau got to conquer, when he came back into power, man, all roads led to his empire. Every empire was his. I hope everybody's understanding this. Now we've got to get a more uh, descriptive look at who he is as it relates to the Bible, proving the points of revelation. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 2 And we're going to start at verse Let's start at verse 1 And like I said That was the part I'm going to get to y'all So I did all that To come back And put it in a nutshell About the opium trade That uh, America did uh, America and the Brits did to China The so-called white men did to them And now how it's coming back on them but the Bible told us that he was going to bring death when he came back into power. So Habakkuk chapter 2, and let's start at verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tab, uh, tab, uh, tables that he may run that readed it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. So this is something that, had, that hadn't happened yet. This is a prophecy. Verse 4, 
Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. So this is going on and talking about a a particular person which would spawn a nation. It says that his soul, so if he spawned a nation, their soul was not going to be right in them, which he did, verse 5. Yea, also, because he transgressed by wine influence, he is a proud man. Neither keep it at home. I mean, this dude is going to be everywhere. And what did it tell us in Genesis, the 25th chapter, concerning Esau? said he was going to be a man of the field, which means a man of the world. Now, here it's telling us he won't keep it home, meaning he won't stay in one spot. He won't stay in his own land. He's going to be everywhere. Now, watch this. Who enlarged his desire as hell. What? A desire is something you lust for. And this dude had a desire for everybody's uh, monetary and uh, gross national product. This is why he was all over. And, and hell followed with him like we like hell followed with him like we just read in Revelation. Part again. Who enlarged his desire as hell and his and is as death, like it tells us in Revelation. And cannot be satisfied. He's never satisfied. It says, but gathered unto him, listen to this, all nations. So who could this who else could this be talking about? It says, and heap it unto him, all people. Shall not all these take up a parable against him and taunting proverb against him and say, woe to him that increases that which is not his. (laughs) This dude takes everything that ain't his. How long? And to him that laid it himself with thick clay. Shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee and awake that shall vex thee? And thou shalt be for booties unto them. A booty is a treasure or a loot, man. That's what you would take in war, the spoils of war. It's saying that all these nations that he's vexed, that he's took over and conquered, they're going to come against him and take his stuff. Verse 8 proves it. Read, watch this. Because thou hast spoiled many nations. See? All the remnant of the people shall spoil thee because of the of men's blood and for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. Hope y'all seeing this. Woe to him that covered an evil covetousness to his house. And that's what the so-called white man has done for centuries is they try to cover up their lust for greed, power, their covetousness. They want what other people have. And they cover it up in, in, in the way of what? Diplomacy. They send their missionaries in. Democracy. We got to bring democracy to this country, democracy over there, when, when actually they're after their natural resources. What was the excuse that they used? to go into um, Afghanistan, no, before, even before Afghanistan, into Kuwait and take their oil reserves. Oh, Saddam is killing his people, and we got to go over there and save them, Give, bring them democracy. Hope y'all seeing this. It says, verse 9, Woe to him that covered an evil covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high. Nest talking about your house. 
You said your your nest, your nation on high, that they, I'm sorry, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people and hast sinned against thy soul. So it's talking about, once again, the so-called white man and how he has raped, robbed, and pillaged all these nations and him getting his payback. Oh, I'm sorry. I just seen this, y'all. Somebody's asking a question. Let me put clue them in here. How you get them in here? Hold on, y'all. Wait, wait, wait. All right, whoever this yeah, the question. Hey. Can you hear Hello? me? Yeah, I hear you now. Hey, it's me, Michelle. I don't know how that came up. Go back to your class. Oh, okay. Hello? No problem. I don't know how that came up. Oh, no problem. Um, Where was I at, man? I lost my train. I'm sorry, y'all. Uh, but I was pretty much at the end of it. I did want to get this in Revelations. Do I? Yeah, I got time. Revelations chapter 6. And I'm going to read this again because there's a part I wanted to bring out. It says, uh, verse 8. And I looked and behold a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them. So, it says, and power was given unto them. It's talking about a nation or a group of people. Over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. Now, the fourth part of the earth, y'all, of the earth is talking about land, water, air, and people. This is talking about him conquering the whole world, man. And this, this is what he's done. All right, I hope, man, I hope. Uh, everybody got some understanding out of this. I know I had to kind of rush it and condense it down because uh, I was running out of time. But uh, just wanted to bring out what uh, the so-called white man has done, done to China, and now it's being done to him, and now he's screaming and crying uh, foul play. So uh, I only got 10 seconds, y'all. Uh, that's my time, but I want to take us out with this right here.
Take us out, man. Till next time, y'all. Shalom.